So first of all, I just want to say huge thanks for your taking part in the Sales Transformation podcast series. And thank you for your time. Uh, it's great to be here. You know, I really, really enjoy getting involved in things like this. And um, yeah, looking forward to it. That's great. Um, so, I mean, we've met you at our global sales transformation event. I think it was last year and yeah. you had a great impact there. But many of the listeners won't know who you are. Um, so I think, you know, the first question is, who is Baz Gray? Yeah, and you know, that is a question that I look back and ask myself, you know, quite often anyway. And I, I was actually, when I, when I left the Royal Marines four years ago, I, I still don't think I've really settled down into who I am or where I am or, or what it is I'm going to become eventually in, in, in my life. And it's getting a bit late in the day to, uh, to, to decide. And, you know, as a, as a young kid, I was this quiet, unconfident, quite shy guy. Uh, I kept a very close group, a very small close group of friends around me that I that trusted friends, you know, and I wasn't very outgoing or confident in any way, shape or, or, or form. To bounce forward, you know, 35, 40 years, I'm, I'm the complete opposite. I'm content, I'm confident. Um, and I, I, I look back and reflect on my life as to as to where that happened and what point that was. And, you know, as, as you know, and, but not necessarily a lot of your listeners might know is it was a, it was a 26 year in the career in the Royal Marines that transformed me and made me become the person I am today and joining as a kid at 16 and only leaving four years ago, you know, I have to accept that those 26 years are the reason I am who I am today. Uh, Maybe a little bit of before, um, hardly anything after it it's basically that so really i'm i don't consider myself to be anything special anything amazing i don't think i'm an elitist in any particular way at, at anything but i do consider myself to be grounded to be confident to be content and to know who i am you know and to have the confidence to to wake up with a smile on my face most days and you know and 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 just get on my life and, and deal with what it throws at me on a daily basis. And, and I just hope I do that, you know, do that to the best of my ability. It's quite interesting that um, when we, you know, we're going to be talking about resilience and mm. of course, having had a career in the Royal Marines, I think you're enormously well qualified to talk about that particular topic. Um, and one of the things that is interesting about resilience is, is it, in a way, it's not until something goes wrong Mm. Um, or something has happened to you that you where you're tested that you can answer that question am I resilient and that, that you know there's some people in life and they seem to have a rather charmed life you know they they go to school they're very bright you know they're very good at sport mm. and they may be very good at music you know I've met some people who are annoyingly brilliant across mm. almost anything you could throw at them but the problem may come and they go to maybe Oxford, the top university, Oxford, Cambridge, and they mm-hmm. sort of sail into fantastic jobs and they get this sort of picture that actually nothing will go wrong. Yet it's when things do go wrong that all of a sudden, if you haven't had those events in your life, that you may become unraveled in some way. Yep. But uh, I'm going to lead on to a question in a minute, but, you know, you kind of chose a career where 
you know, it's tough getting into the Royal Marines. It's one of the toughest jobs to get into. But you've deliberately set about choosing a career where you were being thrown into those sort of pivotal events. So where did that come from? What made you choose the Royal Marines as a place that you wanted to develop yourself in? Yeah, and and for me, it was, again, it was... It was my childhood, really, that put me onto the path of the forces, not necessarily the Royal Marines, but I was probably always going to join the forces because my father was in the army. I spent my whole life traveling around the world with him uh, and his regiment, the Royal Regiment of Fusiliers, uh, a northeast infantry regiment. Family are all from from Newcastle up in the northeast. And my friends if you like at school and the way the army is set up when you travel around is the whole regiment will lift itself up and move together so your friends were always your friends whether you moved from the uk to cyprus or or wherever you went you know and you were always surrounded by that that forces world and that forces life and i wasn't incredibly academic either but i was you know gifted in 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 other ways and and for me it was the, the the physical aspect of life climbing and playing football and being outdoors and just and just loving being anywhere but indoors and in the house so um the forces was probably always going to be something i was ultimately going to end up because it's what i knew and we were living in cyprus when i was 14 years old and there's an army or forces school if you like just outside episcopy barracks uh, and it was called st john's school and that's where i went and as a 14 year old this bunch of guys turned up wearing a uniform that I recognized. It was the British Armed Forces uniform, but they had something on their heads that I didn't recognize. And it was this thing called the Green Berry. Uh, and they were Royal Marine Commandos. And I heard nothing about, I'd heard about them probably subconsciously, but I don't really know who they were, what they were all about. And, you know, and, and the standing that they had in the Armed Forces and, you know, the sort of a more elite level than what I was used to, you know, no offense to my father and, and the, 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 the infantry, but they, you know, they, they stand head and shoulders above. And they did this series of presentations this day. And I was just sat there with almost with my jaw on the floor. I didn't even know that this was something I would be interested in. But something deep within me told me that, you know, that's, that's a life for you, I think. You know, even as a 14, unconfident, don't forget, shy and quite, you know, quite sort of, um, you know, contained individual at the time. I still had something within my inner self that told me that that was a career I, I think I would love to do and thrive in. And that was a turning point in my life, literally as a 14 year old in school, I decided I was going to do that. Um, and that's, that's what I went on and did. So it may be rather difficult for you to go back to that episode, you know, when you're 14, but could you try and recall what was it about that presentation that captured your imagination as it did? It lifted me in a way I've never been lifted before. It, it stirred emotions in me that I didn't realize I had. It created an excitement in my head that I not got excited about. You know, if I was going on a, a school trip and it was a geography trip or a history trip or a museum visit or something like that, I would, you know, I'd go, you know, you get up and get on with it. Oh, we're going to do this today at school. But if it was a school trip to go and play a football match or if it was going to if it was a school trip to go on a on a caving trip or go kayaking or do something adventurous outdoorsy, I'd be a completely different person up there. I'd be buzzing because it's something I knew I'd be good at. It's something I knew I would enjoy. 
And that would always raise a little something in me. And it never really went beyond that until this day. I found an emotion inside myself stirring that was just something I'd not felt before. I was genuinely excited. And I can remember to the day just sitting on the chair, sitting up and just taking in every single word that was being spoken. And I think a lot of it was to do with the individuals and their manner and their presence in the room, the way they held themselves. You know, I'd not seen that before. Even some of the best teachers I'd experienced up to that point didn't seem to be able to control and hold a room in the way that these guys were. And everyone was just silent and listening. Nobody was messing about and, you know, and, and, and just not really paying attention. No one had to be told to be quiet or, you know, like you, you, you get in schools. And it was just a sheer excitement. And I suppose a little bit of, I had a little bit of an adrenaline rush, if I remember rightly, and just thinking, I've just witnessed something. And all it was was four guys coming to tell us about who the Royal Marines are and what they do and, and how you join and how you're interested. But I, I, I don't know. Maybe it was the videos they were showing of the sort of, you know, the, the outdoors and the Royal Marines climbing mountains and doing survival exercises. Because back in the early 80s, there was a TV program called Behind the Lines which is about the Royal Marine Mountain Leader Corps specifically. And they showed clips from that documentary, that video on their day with the school. And it was elements of that, I think, that was the sorts of things that excited me in life. And, and yeah, it just created, it created an emotion. I didn't, know, I didn't know I could get that emotional about something or excited about something I didn't know anything about. But, I mean, the Royal Marines, you know, very often I think they will go into... A situation, let's call it that, you know, before the regular forces will, you know, you, you, yep. you're often the first, I don't know where you've got assault team, which must be incredibly nerve wracking. <laughs> I'm talking as a civilian, I can't yeah. quite imagine saying, okay, I'm going to go into this situation, uh, which is highly dangerous. I mean, did you have no fear? Do you not get frightened or fearful? Of the situation that you're in you you do of course of course you do if and if your life is i mean there's two ways i can look at this is there's as a young marine going in for the first time on an operation where there's potential life risk to, to to you and you will deal with that when you're quite young in in one particular way and then there's the the older royal marine the leader who's responsible for taking people into a scenario like that, where his decisions could cost people their lives, you know, in the, uh, the two completely different mind games that you, that you play with yourself. And over time and over years and experience of doing more and more of this, you know, you start to view it and, and, and it, it behaves and manifests itself in your mind in, in, a, in, in a completely different way. But the fear factor is very much there regardless of the experience or, or not. And in different ways, depending on the scenario, is it just you that's at risk? Is it you and your colleagues and everyone around you that's at risk? And, and, and fear is often driven by, by the unknown and not really having an idea what actually is going to happen. I've been on operations in Afghanistan where we've been expecting you know, bombs to go off because of the IED threat and the lectures we've been given and told about how, how terrible it is in this, in this country. You just think every time you put your foot down on the ground, it's going to blow up in front of you, you know, to every rock you pass or every building you go past, someone's going to point a weapon out the window and you go out there with this expectation and then nothing happens. Nothing at all happens. And you go and 
So you start to understand the situation and really start to get a feel for the atmosphere and, and the environment and you calm down a little bit and you can open up. But that's experienced guys, you know, that's fear. It is real fear, but it's also adrenaline training and all sorts of things take, take over to, you know, to allow you to still get through that and do the job that you're being asked to do. But you're always frightened. There's always a fear, you know, a fear of your performance, a fear of someone else's performance, a fear of not letting the side down, you know, that camaraderie, that team ethic that's been drilled into you mm. is also so important. And you, you, you're often more concerned and more fearful of, of getting that wrong than actually losing your own life sometimes. Mm. Yeah, just just uh, really interesting to to hear you sort of talk about it. I'm quite glad you've said that because I think you wouldn't be human if, if you didn't feel a certain element of that. But, yeah, um, yeah. but then I guess the kind of thought process, the planning that goes into the preparation that you re- that you receive sets you up to be able to handle mm-hmm. that kind of situation. So could you talk a little bit about how you were prepared as a Marine to go into those kind of scenarios and you know, what do they do to build up your, you know, we're going to talk about, you know, your, your physical, your mental strength to be able to cope with these extreme situations. It, yeah. It's, it's about building expectation and it's about building a level of experience in basic training all, all the way through in, in, into your career. So you're, you're dragged into the gates of commando training centre at whatever age from someone who's never experienced anything like what they're about to throw at you. And a, a lot of people in that situation initially will not cope very well. Some will cope very well. But by the end of it, you all need to be coping pretty much the same and have the same level of expectations and the same level of understanding as what it is they're asking you to do when you leave the Royal Marines. It's not sort of explained that way, but when you look back on your career, you can see that's exactly what they're doing when they bring you in. They need to get across to you as quickly as they possibly can an understanding in your head of what it is they're asking you to do. And they, they do it sort of quite discreetly, but in a, in a way that leaves you with no doubt that there are going to be opportunities or times in your life that when you leave this training place, someone's going to be picking a gun up and having a go at trying to kill you or, or trying to blow you and your friends up or, or, or whatever. And you're going to have to deal with that. So what we're about to do with you from day one is prepare you for that. So it's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. We're going to shout at you a lot. We're not going to let you get a lot of sleep. And when you think you're going to get a lot of sleep, we're going to wake you up and we're going to do it all over again. And you're going to wonder why we're doing this, you know, and you're going to ask questions and it's going to be frustrating. And some of you might not want to do it anymore and you might want to leave. Those of you that stay will do more of that and it will get harder and it will get tougher and you still won't understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. Uh, Until eventually things start clicking in place and it all does start making sense. So it's almost subconsciously giving you the experience to learn and develop with tough times. It's a gradual process that gets tougher and tougher and tougher. And they're, they're just creating a mindset and a stubbornness and, a, and an ability to, for you to be able to, to just switch off from the hardship and then eventually allowing yourself to be able to open up and focus on the actual job in hand, regardless of what you're going through and what else has been happening. 
And that's just built up through hundreds of years of experience of knowing what it is to take an untrained mind into a mind that can be focused regardless of what's happening and going on around you. And, and that's what the Royal Marines do exceptionally well. So just to make sure I fully understand what you've just said, I, I think it's really interesting. So the first step is to of, of, of the training or development program is for you to be able to, you know, take these young cadets or whatever mm. and, and teach them, uh, maybe teach them or help them develop themselves around this notion of hardship, yep. whether it could be sleep deprivation, whether it's physical, it's mental, you know, kind of assault probably all of their senses. Yep. And then once you've done that, yeah, once you've got over that baseline, then and you know that that's their their default system. You know they can deal with hardship. You then look for other qualities, I guess, or other stages of development. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's about it's about attitude and having the right attitude, and delivering, or you know, making sure that people have the right attitude. And it's not for everybody. The Royal Marines, you know, a good forty forty five percent of those who try won't won't get through. You know, it doesn't mean they're not good people. It doesn't mean they haven't got resilience. You know, it doesn't, it just means that this particular level of the type of resilience that you require and determination is just not, not for you, you know, and they're, but they will still learn a huge amount from what they've been through up to that point uh, in as, you know, just as a general life lesson, but it's about having that attitude and showing that attitude when the chips are down, when it is tough. Uh, and then still having the ability to to want to learn more and understand more. And, you know, that's what the instructors are looking for in these guys. You know, you're not going to be a Royal Marine two weeks after joining Royal Marine training. You're not going to be good at weapon training and shooting and, and all of the things that Royal Marines are expected to do. But you are expected to have the right attitude. You are expected to be willing to accept that you're not very good at this, but we're going to make you better as opposed to the attitude of, I can't do this, this is not for me, I'm rubbish at this, I'm going to leave. You know, there is a, there is a line quite early in Royal Marine training where you are either on one side or not. The team will have techniques and ways of managing that, coaching and mentoring techniques that can help recruits to understand which side of the line they're actually on as opposed to the one they think they're on. But not everyone's going to get into the side of, what it takes to become a Royal Marine and you know they choose to leave of their own accord quite often as opposed to being forced out but some people do have to be to be forced out because it's just it's just not for them or their personality or that or that type of character. So you've got you know obviously there's a a strong element of physical ability you know to be able to deal with different types of environments you might find yourselves in then you of course you've got the mental ability Mm -hmm. which which of those two I mean is, is you know which of the two is most important do you think you know what it's, it's mental 100 percent. it's it's, it's, it's mental. okay for, for, for me it's absolutely that you know if you're joining the royal marines you, you you're going to be physically fit and robust enough so we have a it's it's like planning and preparation and making sure that you are you're getting the right people through the door in the first place so the career service if you like the the interview process the the physical 
what we have is a, a, a meet the marines thing these days which used to be a potential royal marines course for example which is things where they would just take the absolute raw civilian away to commando training center for three or four days before he's even been selected to join the royal marines and it's done deliberately so you at least i've got to get through that process first so you know that you've got to the start setting, if you like, the start point that everyone needs to be at before they join the Royal Marines for proper basic training. You've already assessed that in the individuals before they go and come through the gates because you've done all this potential pre-work with them. It can be the same in any line of industry or, or, or business. The more you can find out about a person before you take them on in a role, mm. you know, yeah. the, the more likely they are to succeed once, yeah. once they're in because you're yeah. selecting the right person or the right candidate. Yeah. So a huge amount of that is done. So we know they're physically fit enough and strong enough because we've already tested them. Yeah. So the physical aspect, they wouldn't be getting through the gate if they weren't strong enough. They're not strong enough to be Royal Marine commandos and go into the commando tests. But that's what the next 30, 30 weeks is about. What training is about is developing their physical skills and their strengths to the standards we need but while growing their mindset, growing their confidence and growing their mentality to do the job better mm. and stronger. That fundamentally is what they don't have when they join, but what they need. The physical bit is there because it's tested in, in advance, but the mental bit, they're not looking for that in potential Royal Marine recruits. You know, they're, they're looking for good attitude. They're looking for positivity. They're looking for people who, who genuinely want to do this. And it's tough enough for those who don't really want to be there to say, didn't realize it was going to be this tough. You know, these four days have told me that I'm, I'm going to bow out at this stage. Or it tells you exactly um, it's the right job or the right role for you. But, but more importantly, it tells the instructors and the Royal Marines that these kids have got what we're looking for in the early days. So, you know, the, the pre-stuff and the, the predetermining assessment is, is absolutely vital to make sure you've got, a, you've got a good start point before they walk through the gate. Yeah, that's great. If if you look back on your career in the Marines and you, you were to pick one event that happened mm. that taught you most about resilience, you know, what would that one event be if you can share it? Yeah, there's, there's I mean, there's been a few for me. I mean, you know, I'll put my hand up and say, you know, I had an exceptional career in the Royal Marines. You know, I achieved some of the you know, the most physically demanding and most challenging from a skill set point of view as a soldier courses. You know, I was a Royal Marine sniper, very, very tough course, considered to be one of the toughest sniping courses globally, not physically, but to successfully pass as a, as a soldier. You know, I was a, I was a Royal Marine mountain leader, which is an extremely arduous and physically demanding course. It's tougher than the basic training you go through. You know, I went on to become a regimental sergeant major. Again, really, 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 you know, tough position to hold. There's only ever 12 in the Royal Marines at any one time. And these are your most experienced sergeant majors. And I had success after success after success. I joined the Royal Marines at 16. I passed first time. I, I wanted to join Recce Troop, which is these elite band of young guys that are just the most, you know, the fittest most motivated young Royal Marines. I passed and I got in. 
And then the, you know, one of the unique selling points of the Royal Marines is the, is the mountain leader branch, this ability for a, a group of guys to perform in extreme cold weather in mountainous environments. You know, we do a huge amount of our training in the Royal Marines in Norway, in the mountains of Scotland, in the harsh winters. And it's the Romney mountain leaders that teach you to do that. And I wanted to do that. I looked up at these mountain leaders on my basic novice survival course, like I did at the guys when I was 14 who came to visit my school. And I just saw another band of people that inspired me and I wanted to join them and this is what I'm coming on to Phil is when I joined my mountain leader course it's it's again it's another it's another eight month course that really pushes you even further down the physical and mental aspect of being a Royal Marine commander I mean this is this is bloody tough stuff from day one they really grill you. They know you're fit. They know you're motivated. They know you're strong enough. But are you mental enough? And do you have the skill sets, you know, to teach and deliver on the ground in the most difficult of circumstances you can ever imagine? That's what MLs need to do, mountain leaders. And I applied for this course, prepared myself for so long. The, the physical fitness, the diet, the not, the, you know, the not drinking, you know, almost becoming an elite athlete. And going through that that regime for month after month to to get onto this course and to make sure you performed well. And the course is a year long. So if you're unsuccessful, you've got to wait a whole year to get onto the course again. And in the first month, end of week three, I completely smashed my calcaneum, the back of my foot, in an incident that took 10 seconds. You know, I I leaped from one rock to another. I walked off, you know, as if nothing had happened. Uh, and literally a few minutes later, I was, I was pale. I felt sick. I had a pain in my foot that I, that I'd never experienced anything like this pain in, in, in my life. I just dropped to the floor and I was just out of it. And I didn't cope well at all. I was devastated. I was embarrassed. I was frustrated. I don't think I even got close to being myself again for about three months. You know, I'd lost all confidence and I was a fit, strong, motivated guy that just broke. And I look, I always look back on that point now that I've achieved what I have achieved as someone who just wished he had a little bit more support or a little bit more resilience training or a little bit more, ability to adapt to those really tough times and those really tough environments and it was a lesson that I use personally as an example of where I got it completely wrong I, I thought I was resilient but I looking back I, I, I coped really really badly because the I mean the event that happened could have happened you know it was mm. was it with, you know, it could have happened to anyone. So yeah, absolutely. It wasn't like, you know, okay. But your disappointment was how you reacted afterwards. Is that right? It, it was. Yeah, it was. Failure. It was a complete lack of resilience, failure, embarrassment. Yeah. Um, so that stood out more than anything else. Oh, that's interesting. It, it, yeah, it, it, it did for me. I, I didn't know how to cope. I didn't know how to deal with the situation. I couldn't just switch off and draw a line under it and get on with my life and get my recovery fixed and get on the course the next year. Eventually I did like most people who, 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 who suffer trauma time is the healer, but it's about shortening that time and getting on with it and picking yourself up as quickly 
people. You know, if you're hugely experienced in situations where you've required to be resilient often, then that time frame of disappointment to getting on with your life, you know, shortens hugely, considerably. And sometimes there isn't even a, a, a gap. You just have an ability to go, okay, well, that didn't quite work out how I wanted it to. Let's work out what happened, why it happened, and let's get on with it. I couldn't do that then. So there was, I mean, what's kind of slightly surprising is that you were saying you didn't get any support, but I, I would have thought that support would have been available to you. Yeah, I probably said that slightly wrong. Um, I felt lonely, I think might be a good word, when it came to support. And, you know, lonely can be viewed in a, in a few different ways, can't it? I mean, you can be surrounded by hundreds and hundreds of people all the time, yet you can be the loneliest person on the planet. You know, there were people there with their hand on my shoulder. There were families saying it was all right. No one was bothered except for me. No one was upset or disappointed with me except for me. The support was there. Of course it was there. I just couldn't hear it. I wasn't listening to it. My mind was somewhere else. I wasn't dealing with or accepting the support because of this disappointment and this embarrassment. And it, it just took me a long time to actually realize that people really weren't bothered and it really isn't that big a deal. Okay, you've got to wait a year to pick up. It just took me personally a long time and it just relates to the, you know, to, to your question as, 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 as to sort of one standout moment where mm. resilience, you know, really played a big part. Of, I suppose I read it as where I really learned my biggest lesson about what mm. resilience can do for you and what it, the effect it can have if you, if you can't use it very well. So what you learned from that period was, you know, and I guess if, it, if something like that were to happen again, you would approach it very differently because yes, you, you sort of developed or what coping mechanism yep. do you need to have that would enable you to deal with setback? A hundred percent. Well, I've, I've used that scenario now to help and support others. So I went on to run this course. I went on to become the chief instructor of the Roman in Mountain Leaders. So I was the guy standing out front of the course on day one. And I could orientate, and I did orientate my briefs and my like welcoming, you know, the, the big speech at the start of the course. This is going to be the most demanding thing you've ever done. You're not all going to get through this. People are going to get injured. You know, there hadn't been a course in, in history where someone hadn't finished, you know, through an injury. This is unlikely to be the first one somebody is going to fall by the wayside uh, and quite often it would happen in the first four weeks where it's so intense so i could then orchestrate what happened to me into my mentoring with the courses before they even started you know and when people came off i could use my experience to sit down and have a conversation in a way that no one had the conversation with me and make people see because I knew they would be as disappointed as I was. I knew they would be having the same feelings no matter how fit, motivated, confident they were. You know how devastated people are when they come off a course that they prepared so long for. Um, and it, it is the end of your world. And I developed an ability in a way to, to mentor people in that situation because of what I went through. So I used it to my advantage hugely and it, and it works. You know, when you get that, when you get resilience coaching right, it can really change a person's opinion and thought processes in a nanosecond. So, um, so what would be the key themes that you develop, you know, when you're teaching people how, the coping me mechanisms yeah. and how, you know, what's your advice? Helping people to really understand the now, what's really happening around you right now. Okay. In your head, it's this, 
you're disappointed you're embarrassed you're you've got you know everything you've been building up to and planning for and quite often that is focused into your head because of the way you feel others are thinking about you and it's it's the way you think society is now looking at you is is a lot of the reason i think people don't cope well with situations if nobody is disappointed or bothered about anything that you've done or, or underperformed then why should you be and it's helping people i think to understand and to see physically and show them that this is not a bad thing this is what it is understand the now understand the today the future doesn't even exist so that image of what's going on in your head going looking forward doesn't exist it hasn't even happened yet you know everything that's happened up to this point has already gone it's history it's completely irrelevant think about today think about to now and think about what this really means in the big picture of your life and laying that down for them to think about and see yes they're still going to be disappointed but they're going to start a journey that creates a new thought process a thought process that they wouldn't be going through if you didn't have that conversation but also making them appreciate in this particular situation that the skill sets and the time and the effort that it took them to get there is something that I don't want to lose. So this accident is as disappointing for me as it is for you. We're a small branch. We find it very, very difficult to find highly skilled people. Therefore you coming off this course is devastating for me. It's devastating for the branch because we want you, we need you. You're someone we're looking forward to, to taking forward in our branch as our colleagues going forward. We're instructors now, but we're going to be colleagues later. So you need to go away. Remember that this is where you should be. This is where you need to be. And you need to get fit, motivated, change your attitude, change your disappointment and start working out now, today, how you can get over this illness as quickly as possible or this injury and get back here and get back on this course again. And all of a sudden they're lifted. They become different people. I had the, you'll be all right, don't worry, get on with it. You know, we'll see you next year, it's fine. You can be on the course, you know, just, just you get in a minibus, you're taken back to your unit and, and everyone's like, ah, oh, sorry, Baz, it didn't happen, it didn't work out, you know, as opposed to that real positive inject of inspiration, if you like. Turn it on its head. Make them believe that they were the best guy on that course. Make them believe that they were doing brilliantly well because they won't have known how they were performing because it's that kind of course but when they're off the course you can tell them you were doing great you are doing you're doing exceptionally well this has happened it's such an unfortunate incident that's happened to you and you just make them feel better and different and change the thought process to the now to what it really means and not to dwell too much on what they think this means for their future because it's 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 a piece of space that doesn't exist I think it's interesting in sort of hearing you talk with such sort of passion about about this this particular event that happened on training. And in a way, I was I was thinking, you know, what event would you choose? Would you choose something uh, that's uh, part of your active serve, you know, on on various missions or mm -hmm. you know that you're on? Or but you've actually chosen this particular episode to illustrate how you have personally learned and. And I think it's really interesting because what seemed to me to make this more poignant for you is the fact that you so desperately wanted to achieve something, yep. in this case, finish the course, yeah, to qualify. You also weren't used 
to failing at anything. You were saying you've never failed. And, you know, you went through all the other steps up until now, sort of sailing through. So in a way, you were the top of the class, you know, sort of right up to that moment in time. So you have a combination of extremely high expectations, coupled with a bit of disappointment of not being able to achieve it. And if... If I sort of link that a little bit to the sales world, you know, in which we're in, you know, it's very, very goal orientated and there'll be certain targets and objectives that are really important, you know, that someone achieves. For example, in the large deal space where people are going for a particular opportunity, they may be working for two years, you know, before that opportunity closes. So the risk of losing it is really high. And if you lose it, it's devastating because you've lost two years of your life working for something that results in nothing. Yep. Um, so I'm, I'm just for the listener, I'm sort of making the connection between your story. and Yeah, I think it's, the comparisons are, are, you know, very, very similar. It is. It, it's so similar. And I think that what was difficult, well, I suppose, you know, what's difficult in your sense was that there was a physical constraint that stopped you from being able to continue because you physically couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Yet it was your mental approach that you needed to look at to get you back onto the right route. Yes. We don't have the physical constraints in sales. Ours is very much a mental approach. It's how do you pick yourself up when things aren't going well? But the the key to it is how you're able to stand back and and reflect on something and see it. And I love this sense of the now that you mentioned, you know, the, the actual focus on the now because I think so much of our lives are either thinking about the past or looking at the future that we probably don't have enough sense of the now so and I think it's uh, and the other thing that you mentioned which I think is very interesting is the um, is realize what you've got you wouldn't have got onto this particular course unless you were the best and we needed you so I love this idea that you know, first of all, the positive slant that you've introduced, but also the fact that, you know, it's not just the individual losing, but it's the team that's lost. You've lost an important member of the team. And I think that the way in which you then translated that into how you taught people and how you coach people through that program clearly would be to the benefit of all the other trainees going through it, so to speak. Well, you know, absolutely. And it's it's getting trying to get the mindset right as early as you possibly can after any given after any given failure, you know, and mm. but understanding that failure can be positive. Failure is part of life's journey. People know that you, you can't go through life without getting things wrong and and being disappointed at things. And the, the sooner you realize that and accept that, you know, the easier it starts becoming to deal with resilience. But it's 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 how you deal with the failure are you going to dwell and sit on it for weeks and weeks and weeks or are you going to pick yourself up it's easier said than done in some some circumstances and in in the military and in the royal marines we 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 do this exceptionally well because we're taught to utilize and pull together all of the knowledge that that we have not just in our head but all of the knowledge that's around us all of the knowledge that's gone before us you know we call it the orders process you know, we have a thing called the NATO sequence of orders, which is a series of headings that we follow literally religiously 
you know, from the weather to what time's first light to, you know, from to, to, to logistics and what is our actual mission and, you know, who's going on it, what kit and equipment have we got? And it just continues through this process all the way up to things like at the end, what if, what if, what if, what if. So regardless of what happens in that scenario, you've discussed you've talked about and you've gone through a process of what you're going to do when that happens because we, we, you know, we have a thing called no, you know, no sort of plan will survive contact. Yeah. You know, contact so. with the enemy. That's a wonderful quote. I love it, that quote. It, it, it is. Um, <laughs> a classic example was when we, when we went into Iraq in 2003, the planning for this and the orders process, if you like, the knowledge gathering, and the information on the enemy, the information on the ground, the information on their capabilities versus your capabilities, the numbers, the everything. Because I was a reconnaissance force soldier, therefore generally first on the ground, first to land, first to hit, first to see what actually is, is there and what we're up against. And you feed that information back. And the better you feed that information back, the more accurate it is, the better the chance those behind you also have. You know, it's a really, really important job. But when you're when you're forced into a situation where you've prepared for six months, you can see in your head exactly what's going to happen, where you're going to land, what time it's going to be, where everyone's going to go, what everyone's going to do. Something will literally happen in the very first five minutes that will throw that whole plan out. In Iraq, on the insertion to the, to, you know, to the L4 Peninsula, you, know, you, can, you can sort of read all about these stories online these days. It's so easy to get a hold of. We lost a helicopter that contained the entire headquarters you know the officer commanding the sergeant major the you know the signal sergeant you know his his signalers you know eight guys went down in one incident and these were the people controlling and you know the headquarters the the, the bosses if you like and all of a sudden the helicopter i was on that was next to that helicopter turned around and landed back where we started and all of the helicopters turned around and landed back where we started so that's a classic example of no, you know, no plan survives contact. Mm. Um, and we had no idea what to do. We were back to square one and we literally then had to, had to develop from there, you know, and that's a, that's just a classic example of just things going wrong and expecting, completely expecting the unexpected. But because of the level of detail, the level of planning and the level of understanding that we'd gone through for six months, we had the ability to turn around very, very quickly and refocus, reshape, and then, you know, retarget our approach as, as to what, we, what we're going to do next. And that conversation almost started immediately. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, oh, what are we going to do? How are we going to get around this? Oh, I don't know. This is a nightmare. It was bang. This has happened. This is what we're doing. This is what we discussed. This is how we're going to go forward. And you just go on Could, with it. How quickly after that helicopter going, tragically going down, yeah. Did you regroup and then continue with the, with the mission that was set? The following day. The following day is so quick. Mm. Yeah. Following Amazing. day. But bearing in mind, we were, we were a cutoff force for a unit that had already landed on the L4. Oh, okay. And potentially it didn't happen. You know, history tells us what happened in the L4, but potentially we had one, you know, one, one group of Royal Marines had landed. Our job was to land and create a blocking force for anyone that may be coming to then assault them. So as far as we were concerned on the ground, yes, this, this 
horrible incident had happened, but there's going to be a lot more of it happens if we don't get back to where we're supposed to be because they are now open. Their back end is exposed. Our job is to be there to protect them, to do, mm. you know, this, this role on the L4. So we had to very quickly focus and, and you know, get, get back in, in tune with what's going on to get back into position. And um, you were helped because of all the planning, because of all the preparation you did. So part of building resilience is the planning that goes into something, the data gathering, the... Yeah, 100%. Because if we didn't do the research or understand what was going on the ground, I weren't even told. Just If we were just briefed, right, you're landing here, and if anybody comes down there, then then deal with it. But if you don't really understand why, you don't really take it that 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 seriously. So we have a... We have a paragraph, if you like, in within the orders processed, and and this can be it can be a huge or or not. It's 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 called friendly forces. So you need to know when you go into enemy territory where all your friendly forces people are, what they're doing, how many of them they are, you know where the 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 borders are and the lines of communication, and you know so they so you don't have what we call blue on blue incidents, and we don't have you know moments where you are up against friendly forces you know without knowing that that's about to happen so we understood fully what the units on the ground were doing what they were up against and what they were facing and without that knowledge we wouldn't have had the sense of urgency we we, we mm. had to then reinstill in ourselves to turn ourselves around to get back out there mm. you know and it's, it's, so it's really important you know the, the it's like building up to a a, a, a huge failure the, the first thing i i would do now is I would sit myself down and I will, I will start asking myself a series of questions. And those questions will change depending on the scenario or the situation. You know, for my mountain leader scenario, if I was to do this in the first place, if I had this level of understanding now, I would have just gone, right, what happened? You broke your foot. Was there anything I can do about that? No. Right then. What can I do next? You know, so I couldn't, I could have done anything up to that event is my point to change it. So I don't have to really ask any more questions. I did everything right. It was just one of those life events out of control. But if, if you switch to your sort of sales world and you're up there and you're about to go into a meeting and it all goes wrong and you don't get the contract or you've just lost the company millions of pounds or, or, or whatever it might be, you can sit down and ask a different series of questions very early on. And, and when you look at it and put things down, you go, did I do my homework? Did I really do my homework? Could I have asked more questions? Could I have, you know, what reasons have they given me to tell me why they're not going with me, if any? You know, and you can build this picture and this story if you ask the right questions that will then start telling you where it went wrong. And quite often it jumps off the page at you and you go, actually, I was lazy. I know I was lazy. I, I didn't get, I didn't do my own work. I didn't put enough effort in. I could have tried harder. I should have known that. I should have known this. And quite often, if you do that, it's obvious. And if you draw a line there and then answer all of those questions you've just asked, then that shouldn't happen again in the future. If you haven't been sacked by then, that is. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think in sales, it's notorious for it sort of shoot from the hip. Yeah. Um, win-loss reviews on deals that you've won and lost often yeah. don't happen. You know, there's very little um, serious reflection go, mm. goes into 
the sales process. It's, uh, and, and of course, customers consent, those that do plan well and so on. But it's, it's very few from our experience actually have the right disciplines, have the right mindset to make uh, a relationship really work. Um, so I think it's very interesting how you can draw these parallels. You see, think about the sort of scenario you described, it's life and death. You know, yep. that's major. You don't want anyone in your unit, your team to die. So you're dealing with the ultimate of potential sacrifice. And so therefore the care that goes into the planning process is in sales. If you don't win a deal, you know, <laughs> you've lost some commission maybe, yep. and you don't, you know, you know, maybe it's that sense of, you know, you talked about sense of urgency earlier on. Maybe it's why people take short cuts, but it is to their detriment if if they do. Um, yes, I love the the quote that Graham Lamb, who's one of the trilogy, said. He said, "The plan is nothing, but planning is everything." Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. what yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just just a very nice phrase, isn't it? It just says it all, doesn't it? It says yeah. it. It says it all. So I think it's that's really interesting. I'm just looking at the questions as I've prepared, Baz, and I think we've we've covered a lot of them. Um, except I haven't asked you. There's two questions I wouldn't mind asking you if I could in the next sort of, of course, ten minutes. Yeah, One is how do you define resilience? Maybe it was a question that we should have asked, you know, sort of perhaps earlier on. But how would you define? I mean, to, I mean, there's the there's the classic Google what's resilience answer, isn't there? Which I mean, any any anybody can do. But I I think resilience is defined. In, in different ways, I think, by different people, depending on the life experiences that they've had. So I can sort of only answer really from my perspective of what, I, of what I've mm. learned to think resilience is. And for me, it's about how, how we deal with any given negative situation, the way we behave and the way that our behavior affects other people. You know, and I, and I, and I think whether that be a, a, a big life event or, or a small life event. So it's, it's just dealing with negative situations. And I break it down into two, to two areas in my life. And I think most people should be able to reflect on this. I've got what I call everyday resilience, everyday annoyances, you know, that little bit of road rage, you know, when, when the fridge breaks, when you've just failed a test, you know, um, someone in the office is just not, not pulling their weight regularly and, you, you, you know, you, you, you get annoyed. You know, if you have three or four of these things, which, which we know happens to people quite regularly in, in a single day, you know, you get up, you go outside, your car won't start. You've got to get a taxi to work. And then someone in the office is, is, is late and turns up and has got an attitude, you know, and then something else will happen on later on the day or then you get a call off your wife saying oh the school have been on the phone because you you know you, you, you know you have one of those days you can behave and react like a complete moody ass you know and not cope with that very well and we all know people in those situations who don't cope very well like that and they can be helped and coached i think and, and taught how to behave with that better um and then there's what I call big picture resilience, you know, the big life events, you know, where this is stuff that just happens completely unexpectedly. It's not daily stuff, an unexpected loss in a family, someone that's really close to you. You know, you could lose your job. You know, you could have done extremely poorly in exams you've been preparing for for years, you know, A-levels, you know, degrees, etc. 
from an expedition point of view, you know, my world these days, you know, you, you've spent two years planning and saving to get to the summit of Everest. You're within an hour of the summit and you have to turn around and come back down. And that's your opportunity gone for another, for another two years. So being resilient every day and dealing with everyday negativeness, I'm dealing with some massive, great big resilience event, you know, where something catastrophic has happened in life. I think that I, I break them down into, into, into different levels and would, would attack the two different areas in two completely different ways, really. Yeah, I think that's very interesting, sort of defining it at the two yeah two different levels and i think that a lot of what you did on the big resilience you know the 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 event you talked about in training looks at how you are able then to use that experience to adapt into being a slightly different person as a consequence of it or you know having a, a slightly different mindset to it as well so yeah no it's it's really interesting so that was one question and the other one is, and I think I know the answer to this, but, you know, who's influenced you most, would you say, on this sort of resilience journey you've been on? Yeah, you, you, you're probably right when you can sort of predict, <laughs> knowing me the way you do, um, <laughs> who I might ultimately come up with. But, it's, you know, it's, it's important to say that trying to learn resilience from other people is you know, is, 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 is quite a difficult thing to do, I think, until you really sort of get in, in, into that world. And I've become better at resilience. And I think this is good for all the programs and things that, that, that are happening in, in, in sales these days. I've become much better at it when I became an instructor, when I became a teacher, when I became a coach and a mentor myself. And I think some of the most resilient people are people who are in roles that um, have a, a huge amount of responsibility because resilience is almost is almost forced on you because if you're not the knock-on effect of many other people around you is going to be quite catastrophic as well so I've got four or five people in my life that I've looked up to I'm very good at observing I love watching people I love sitting back in a room and just seeing how people perform well and seeing how people react to their performance if that, if that makes sense and taking away those good habits and ignoring the bad habits of people who get it wrong and trying to develop your own style of what looks good, what makes people react well to you or, or certain kinds of behaviors is, is, is really good. And of the four or five people I could write down that have inspired me, hence have made me more resilient because they are, the one I have chosen or the one who is the top of my list is the only one on the list I've never met. <laughs> and, and that was Sir Ernest Henry Shackleton, you know, the, the great British Antarctic explorer. And simply because of him as a person, his attitude, and it's important to point out that this guy failed pretty much catastrophically at everything he set out to do almost in life. All of his major ambitions to get to the South Pole and cross the Antarctic continent, you know, ended in failure quite often before he even got anywhere near his target. And that was basically just due to circumstance at the time and not having the knowledge. You know, he was using all of the knowledge he had at the time to try and achieve something someone had never done before. And, and that takes a huge amount of, of resilience and sort of focus and, and, and everything, planning and preparation and, and just knowledge. But it's also about 
selecting the right people, having the foresight to see problems, having the foresight to know what's going to happen going forward in the future and hoping it doesn't happen. But if it does happen, do I have the right people around me? Am I picking the right team for the right reasons? Not just because they're good at one specific thing like navigation at sea or scientific experiments that we're going to do or this, that or the other, or, you know, are they going to be good? in the worst situations where we require to be the most resilient to get ourselves out of. And Shackleton's ability to be resilient for me is just, is just second to none. He put himself in some of the, or ended up in, not deliberately put himself in, but ended up in some of the most horrific situations a human being can be put in, you know, ever. And to not be resilient in a situation like that, will result in death for sure almost guaranteed and his life experience had taught him everything he needed on his shackleton expedition 1914 to 1916 where basically his ship got trapped in some pack ice and sank to the bottom of the sea your 28 man sat on an ice shelf granted with all the stores and supplies from a from a ship but no way of moving or contacting anyone or or, you know, they're, they're right down in Antarctic waters now on a frozen sea ice shelf. And he's got to get these guys home safely. You know, how do you do that? You know, and how did he do that? And it was, again, it was about surrounding himself and picking the right people in the first place. People that respected him, people that knew him and understood him. But it was resilience. It was positivity. It was that ability to say, okay, ship's gone. And this was a classic quote from him. Our ship's gone. Now we'll go home. You know, that was his immediate thought, right? I don't know how I'm going to do it yet, but I'm telling you we're going to do it. So let's just come up with a plan and let's make this work. In the meantime, let's stay positive. Let's stay focused. Let's look after each other, you know, and, and let's make sure that, you know, when the weather changes and circumstances for us change, which they will, you know, we can get ourselves out of here. And people just went, okay, if that's what the boss has said we're doing, that's what we're doing. And, you know, it's it's that behavior, it's that type of character and attitude that, you know, I've learned so much from. And, you know, one of my big passions in life now is is, is polar history and, and in particular the mindset of these people who, who put themselves in these situations, you know, safely or as safely as they possibly could in their view at the time. But we've learned so much today because of it. Yeah, it's an amazing story that you tell about Shackleton. And for the listener, we we have got um, an incredible uh, video uh, where you go into the Shackleton story in mm. in detail. So I, I think you know we can direct the listeners who want to learn more about the Shackleton story to that clip. But it is, I have to say, it's one of the most inspiring stories I've heard you know, on the topic and, and the fact you've done it, you know, you've, you've followed in his footsteps and you've done it not only, you know, you tried to replicate exactly the same circumstances that, that he did. I, you know, I think that's extraordinary, Baz. So, you know, there are not many people who've, who've taken that interest in Shackleton to the stage that, that you did. And um, I know you've got a number of objectives about, 
trying to complete what Shackleton had set out to complete, but didn't quite. And I think we wish you every luck in being able to, uh, to make that happen. In COVID days, it's probably, you know, presented a few. You have to be resilient. Well, yeah, right. I, was, <laughs> I was hoping to be down there this this this, this year. Summer, but, uh, all expeditions have been put on hold in Antarctica, yeah. so COVID yeah. has literally got to the bottom of the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like that moment on the boulder, isn't it? When you you know something happens in your foot, you've got to uh, to say right. Well, let's go home. Yeah, <laughs> All the equipment. What I would do now. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I, I had a major disappointment only recently. You know, I was, I do a lot of endurance events and a lot of long runs. Um, and I entered a 110 mile race on the Southwest Coast Path two weekends ago. And I, I, I took quite a bad tumble after about 20 miles. Uh, and after about 30 miles, it was quite clear that I'd, I'd, I'd sort of pulled a muscle in my leg and I, I couldn't <laughs> carry on. And I, I prepared very, very well for this one and, and I was really excited and, and, you know, and really looking forward to this one. And it would have taken me probably 25, 26 hours to complete sort of nonstop running 110 miles on the coast path. And after 30 miles, I was done. And I was just like, Oh, that hasn't gone to plan. <laughs> and I literally did. I had a guy, a team supporter me. I just phoned up the safety guy. I said, look, it's Baz. I've had an injury this is my number, my support team's picking me up and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm moving on. And we just went to the pub, had a pint uh, and just went, okay, let's get ready for the next one. I'll get fixed as quickly <laughs> as I can. Literally 15 years ago, I would have been sulking for a week. Uh, yeah. You know, but I'm so glad. I look back now, yeah. I've dealt with it properly, you know, I'm really proud of myself. You know, when you do yeah. do well, you look back, okay, I'm disappointed, but what's the point in doing it? I just went, right, let's just go and have a beer. You know, it's happened. I can't do anything about it. Let's just get on with it. And, you know, we actually had a really good afternoon. So uh, <laughs> I'm sure it still happens every day. Failure <laughs> is always there, ready to bite you. It's interesting. I, I just, I know we've over, overdone our welcome on, on this, but um, it's interesting about failure because, you know, being, um, you know, I describe myself, for example, as being an entrepreneur, you know, and, I think entrepreneurs see failure in a very different way. I, I've always seen failure as, as an incredibly positive thing. I've never been frightened. It, it's got a sort of negative connotation, I think, failure. Oh, you fail. But actually, for me, no, I've, I've had so many. And I, I, I've learned so much from them that there's a close link between failure and innovation. In the same way that you you know, failed, you've, you've innovated. It means you've come up with new ideas, new ways of dealing with things yep. that wouldn't have happened without the failure, you know? So it, I think um, resilience for me is, is that, you know, having the capacity to, to look at something and draw out from it things that are very positive. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's for us in the military. And, 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 and I mean, I've heard you use this, this, this phrase before as well. Um, and it's, it's not necessarily a military thing, but it's something I think the military do very well. And it's just the classic lessons learned, lessons identified, you know, but documenting them properly. So when something goes wrong, it's the forcing yourself and the discipline to sit down and ask why and to document what went wrong and where you think it went wrong and what you could do better in the future and it may be 10 years before you're faced with that problem again but you can go back to that 
form or those questions or that document you you wrote at the time your lessons identified document and you can read through it and go i was just about to fall into that trap again i remember now i, I don't do that or i did that before you know and it's a, it's, a, it's a really good way of of doing it even if that failure means you're going to move away from that particular subject or topic and not go near it again it's still good to write down why it went wrong mm. try to help yourself understand by you know just making a few notes that okay just something you can reflect on later a hundred percent yeah well thank you baz i think that takes us to the end of um this podcast session so i was great it's been lovely chatting really good it's been really good uh, catching up with you it's great to have Baz on the Sales Transformation Podcast and thanks to Baz once again. He's an incredibly busy man but has had fascinating experiences that we can all take on board and apply to our own personal resilience during these really trying times. We'll include the links to his profile in the show notes as well as his own podcast series called The Outdoor Athlete. If you'd like to have a listen to that that would be great. Well are you enjoying the podcast series here? Please spread the word or give us a review on the podcast player you are using. And please also spread the word on your own social profiles or share it with at least one other salesperson. Next up on the Resilience Trilogy is Dr. Carol Pemberton. She got her doctorate as a consequence of studying the topic of coaching for resilience. I'm sure you're going to enjoy that as much as you may have enjoyed the first two of these sessions. So look forward to seeing you again. Bye for now.